Welcome to Modern Myth Media. My name is Sean Gerber, and with me is my co-host, Robert Reinecke. Robert, how's it going? Going great. Still on the right side of the earth? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's going, going well. We have a lot of interesting movies to discuss for the first quarter. We do, yeah. So that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. We're going to be breaking down the first quarter of 2018, obviously all the movies that came out, as well as some stuff that came out in late 2017 that had most of their box office run within the first quarter. And Robert, it's no surprise to anybody listening, the biggest story of the first quarter of this year was, of course, Black Panther, which, as we speak, it's already, you know, it has already broken the record for, set by the Avengers for the highest domestic total for any superhero movie. I'm looking at it right now. It's close to $660 million domestic, uh, getting very, very close to $1.3 billion, and it'll probably get there by the end of this weekend uh, on which we're recording this episode. Passing Titanic. Yeah, exactly. So Black Panther has been amazing. I, I had high expectations for how it would perform, and a lot of people did, but Nobody was this ambitious with their <laughs> predictions for how Black Panthers performed. No, I, I think all evidence points for it found a whole new audience uh, to bring in. And uh, congrats to Marvel and Ryan Coogler because yes. uh, that, that displays some ambition and some risk-taking, and I think it paid off for them. And I, I think it's, it's, it's marvelous that that happened. It really is, and uh, it's also great for Infinity War because you have an audience that very clearly saw their first Marvel movie with Black Panther. I, I think I observed that just in the public screenings I went to with Black Panther. The easiest way to tell who, you know, which people in the audience, it was their first Marvel movie, who got up and left when the credits started rolling. <laughs> and, you know, you could tell you know, there were a lot of people who that Black Panther was their first movie. And, and obviously you have a, a large uh, a black audience that has not been, uh, not been adequately represented in film in general and then in blockbuster films and then, and also within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, and even though it may it's, it's taken way longer than it should have, it, it's finally happened and it's happened in a big and beautiful way with a terrific film in Black Panther. And, and I think you have all of that new audience that's here, but I think they will come back and they will kind of be joined by you know, this other, you know, this Marvel audience that's been here the whole time, because there, there's a certain Marvel audience that only shows up for the Avengers. We can tell because of just how much more money the Avengers make at the box office compared to the solo franchises. So you take that Black Panther audience, add it to the Avengers audience, and, and certainly it looks like Marvel is poised to have their biggest opening ever with Infinity War. Uh, but But that's, of course, second quarter. So <laughs> focusing on the first quarter... <laughs> It's been amazing to watch this run for Black Panther. And yeah, congratulations to Ryan Coogler and Kevin Feige and everybody at Marvel Studios because the movie earned it. It wasn't just because, uh, you know, as we've seen, people aren't going to show up just because you have an inclusive film, you know, just because there's a diverse cast. That alone won't make people show up. It has to be a good movie and it has to speak to people and move people, and Black Panther has done that, and it's the be it's the best reviewed superhero movie ever. Whether or not you think it's the best, uh, super and I, not you, Robert, but you listening or anybody, whether or not anybody else thinks it's the best superhero movie ever, it's a separate discussion. It's the best reviewed superhero movie, and 
you know, people have really, really tapped into it. And, you know, it got, uh, it got name dropped, I think at least three times that I can remember during the Oscars. We'll see if the Academy actually makes good on that with actual nominations next year. Um, but, uh, oh, that does actually remind me the modern myth movie awards. Now an official precursor to the Oscars with the shape of water. We had it as best picture first. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing to watch this run of Black Panther, and it's crazy to see the impact that it had, because a lot of films, uh, maybe we've, we've talked about this, uh, you know, just in Facebook messaging, but there's been a, there are a lot of films that have come out in the wake of Black Panther that maybe couldn't necessarily find a ton of breathing room. And, uh, but I don't think that's just because of Black Panther being, so dominant and so successful some of those movies that came behind it weren't weren't as good as people wanted them to be no i I think that's it i think black panther i mean besides being a really entertaining film i think it it spoke to people in a way that they Mm -hmm. they really weren't expecting it it really grappled with the african heritage and being proud of it and legacy and what it's like to have it ripped away from you Mm -hmm. in a way that i think you didn't have to be an African-American to relate to. Certainly not. And, no, I, I think that uh, was really remarkable and, and, and helped make it more than just a good time at the movies. And yeah. and I, I also think it's an example of uh, the genre of Afrofuturism, mm-hmm. which if you look at that, I mean, it's, it's a one that really uh, puts – the African heritage and legacy and culture existing in a future uh, gives a future to uh, people who that is important to. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's uh, it's one of the really few movies that are like that. I mean, you got the 70s kind of low budget uh, space is the place. Uh, also, coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, set in Oakland mm-hmm. for much of it. Um, and uh other than that, I can't really think of anything. I mean, maybe you could say there's elements of Afrofuturism in The Matrix. And certainly I would say there would have been more of it if uh, Will Smith had uh, accepted the lead role that was offered to him. Right. Uh, uh, but uh, I would say Black Panther kind of blazed the way into a, to a, a, a subgenre having its own uh, box office cachet. And maybe we'll see more of that in the future. Well, that's the great thing about Black Panther is that it felt so different, not just in terms of something that people had asked for with inclusion for such a long time, but but yeah, like it it felt fresh and new because Afrofuturism is not something that's been uh, a huge, certainly hasn't been a part of major blockbusters before, and so that it gave audiences something new, and I think it it was a very well balanced film in that it challenged audiences with very heavy themes, and and as you mentioned, I mean. A, a lot of the struggles of the African community within Africa, within America, and just throughout the world, you know, they did not shy away from that at all in the movie. And, and I think they put it in a context that obviously if you, you know, the member, the members of the audience who were black can relate to that in, in ways that other people never can, but you can certainly relate to it enough to get it and and really understand and empathize so long as you're a human being capable of empathy within Black Panther and and but at the same time even though it had those weighty elements to it it was also still very fun it still delivered yes. as a mainstream good time at the movies blockbuster and 
those are what that's what the best ones do is they can combine the, those heavier elements with just a a lot of fun and humor and that's why it's it's something that has allowed Marvel Studios to be very successful over the past 10 years and Black Panther is is certainly one of if not the best example of what Marvel is so so great at and but besides Black Panther I, I think uh let's jump back in time from from February of Black Panther let's let's spend a little bit of time talking about January because I think the story of January before Black Panther became the story because Black Panther started screening for press at the end of January and that was you know the hype train really got going there uh, but I think Jumanji was the story of January and in that it's the it's leggy box office run was not something that people uh, that people had called I certainly didn't think that I, when I saw the first Jumanji trailer I really wasn't into it <laughs> and, and I uh you know I I was I liked the first the original Jumanji film as a kid but I didn't have the same reverence or rosy feelings of nostalgia for it that uh, other people my age had going into this. Um, and maybe it's people who are just a little bit younger than me. Cause I was, I think I was a teen, I was just, you know, my early teen years when Jumanji came out. So maybe I would have a little more of that, those feelings toward it. If I had been still been in single digits when Jumanji came out, maybe <laughs> that's what it was. Um, but Jumanji certainly gave uh, families what they wanted at the movies they it gave families the, the the good time that they were craving yeah i mean i i don't think it aspires for anything higher than to be in light entertainment but it is good light entertainment and it has a nice uh crisp two-hour running time and uh i think it has some and the the cast i think is they're all very charismatic and entertaining and work well together and I, that's, I guess, the combination when you can put all that together. Mm-hmm. Even if you look at there's really no standout action sequences and the villain is just kind of there and all these other things that you can point to as faults of the movie, but it was just a good time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you didn't need to worry about world building or anything else. Everything is contained in it. And I think all of that made it a, a good family entertainment that could... Uh, it, it's one of those, I think, uh, worked for just about whatever age you were at. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I hated the villain, but I didn't care. <laughs> I, thought, <Yeah. laughs> I thought, and I think Bobby kind of always a great actor, but I didn't think there was anything to uh, his villain in the film or that he even really served much of a function. And uh, other than making sure that the animals weren't the bad guys in this film, because the animals were bad guys in the first Jumanji, <laughs> at least they started out that way. Like those monkeys were causing trouble and the lion was scary. But mm-hmm. um you know, it really was that they they wanted to really keep the focus more on uh, a central human villain, and it just didn't really work for me. But the cast did a great job. That's the most I've enjoyed Jack Black in a very long time uh, in Jumanji. But I also thought it was a great performance and kind of a coming out party for Karen Gillan, uh, who doesn't get to show how funny she is in the Guardians movies. At least because Nebula is more of a unintentionally funny uh, character in Guardians when she does, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's the character who gets laughed at, not laughed with. But I thought that Karen Gillan was so, uh, not, and I'm not saying Nebula's a bad character, just that's how she's portrayed um, in the Guardians movies. But Karen Gillan in this one, I thought was a lot of fun. 
the because I didn't watch Jumanji in the theater because I was so skeptical. I did not believe anybody when they said <laughs> that this movie was good and that this movie was entertaining. I, I didn't buy it. I, I was not. Uh, I, I was not buying what they were selling, and so I only just rented it recently. And I go, oh, okay, I get it. Uh, because that scene where Karen Gillan is futilely trying to learn how to flirt is one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time. Her the, the nibble with like biting her lower lip was and the awkward dancing and all that stuff. Like I just I, I thought that was all that was all terrific and just played into the entertaining part of the film. And and I think that's a, another great thing for Jumanji is when you can have. Dwayne the Rock Johnson show up in a movie and he's actually not the most entertaining character on screen. You know you're doing something right because that means you've got uh, you've you've got a full mm-hmm. you've got a full boat there with your cast. Yeah, I think everybody got a chance to shine there and like you said Carrie Gillen, well, uh excuse the pun but she gets to let her hair down mm-hmm. in a way that she doesn't in the Guardians movies and really she hasn't had the opportunity to do since she was in doctor who mm-hmm. um so i i thought uh she that it probably is her coming out party because people actually know what she looks like now right on the big screen um and yeah jack black was a lot of fun i mean the flirty scene you point out i would say that the peeing scene was yeah. also a highlight of the film <laughs> definitely <laughs> and i mean it's it's a film that that it's a sequel, I guess, technically, but mm-hmm. you didn't have to see the first one. I didn't no. even really like the first one. So it's like, yeah, I know the, I know the concept, it's a game and you have to get to the end to, to reset. But, uh, that's about all they took was the general concept. And I guess they brought in some of the breakfast club. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and they, and it's one of the first, uh, well, I guess we have a trend here this year that, the uh, movies more and more are trying to, uh, use video games as part of their storytelling in some way, shape or form, either loosely or more directly. And apparently Hollywood is getting better at it. Well, I think they've, they may have found a key here and uh, which is that it's probably easier to make movies that are based on the premise of video games, as opposed to adapting the specific stories of video games, because the two most successful examples in this first quarter are of course Jumanji and then Ready Player One. And those are not based on any specific games. Um, you know, and they're not, uh, they Ready Player One is obviously chock full of references to several video games. And, uh, but it's not, it, but it's almost more of that open world mentality of you get to tell whatever story you want within this. And that's what Ready Player One does. I mean, for obviously as a novel first, mm-hmm. and then that novel being adapted to the film and I kind of think, uh, you know, Rampage, which will be a second quarter release that's a, about to come out here. I think what ben- what's going to benefit that one at the box office in terms of how people see it is there's not. It's pretty much the the basic concept of a giant white gorilla, a flying wolf, and a giant crocodile doing battle, and you put Dwayne the Rock Johnson in the middle of it. But you can just tell whatever story. You can pretty much tell whatever action blockbuster story you want within that, as opposed to adapting a specific story like you tend to see with the Tomb Raider series or Assassin's Creed and other video game movies that haven't necessarily, uh, that haven't necessarily worked as well. This might be the key to Hollywood is, is rather than is either just set things within the world of video games that don't actually exist or find video games that just have a very interesting premise and then build your own original story 
from that, uh, which actually was how movies used to get made is somebody yes. comes up, somebody comes up with a, a cool idea and then it's like, okay, well, what story can we tell with that cool idea? Mm-hmm. And what, what would be a compelling personality to center the film around? Right. And I, I think that's one of the keys to Jumanji is that they had like four compelling personalities mm-hmm. um, to to play with, which is something that I think games struggle with. Uh, having that the main character not just be an empty vessel that you're supposed to pour yourself into, right? Uh, but make it uh, something that you can watch and, and follow along uh, rather than just control blankly. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, because we haven't really mentioned Kevin Hart yet for Jumanji, but he was great too. I mean, I, I, the exploding cake bit was, <laughs> <laughs> that was another good one. Um, but yeah, it's, it is kind of weird that maybe Hollywood has solved the riddle of video game movies in some way. Although, you know, because it, it's kind of a perfect example. You had Ready Player One and Tomb Raider both out in March, and Ready Player One ended up performing above its tracking and I still don't think, you know, Ready Player One is the first Steven Spielberg movie to surpass $300 million worldwide since 2011. Um, I don't think the performance of Ready Player One is quite as spectacular and terrific as people are making it out to be. We just have very reduced expectations for what Steven Spielberg movies do at the blo- at, at the box office. But when we compare Ready Player One to a lot of the high-end blockbusters that are out there, it's not going to come anywhere close. And the opening is not anywhere close. I mean, it was... $50 million over four days, $42 million, you know, four, low 40s in its first uh, weekend because it opened early on a Wednesday, so that it counted as a Thursday for the four-day opening. The numbers are, are solid, but they're not, I, I don't think they're overwhelmingly spectacular, but at least the reviews for the film are good, and audiences seem to be, people who are watching the film seem to be, uh, seem to be happy with it, and which is, which is nice. It's been a while since Steven Spielberg has had a blockbuster that's been received uh, been received quite this way. I enjoyed Ready Player One. I didn't love it as much as some of my friends did, but um, it it still was it, it was a good time at the movies, even if it it wasn't as completely satisfying of an experience as I would have wanted. Yeah, I mean, it, I I will say it's no masterpiece, but I, I was I was very entertained throughout the length of it. I mean, I I would have some problems with the world building and i think uh i think ty shared it is fine but his character is kind of the empty vessel Mm -hmm. uh that you you kind of would like a little bit more shade to him or or something to define him um personality wise but i mean i think some of the supporting characters he's a narrator that's all he is yeah (laughs) but uh i mean i think artemis is a good character yes i think h is a good character um I I had fun with Ben Mendelsohn's kind of cartoonish uh, corporate bad guy, mm-hmm. um, especially when he's talking about uh, the plan that they can get up to like eighty percent of the VR screen filled with ads before people have seizures. Yes, and I I but I think Spielberg is the true star of it, and I, it's nice to see him and his, his and just how nimble and, and light touch he has, how funny he can be how excited he can be and, and get to see him be a fanboy of sorts at times. Mm-hmm. I don't think I need to spoil the big uh, second challenge surprise other than right. I'll say it was a pure joy to see what a fanboy uh, Spielberg is. And I love that they were able to hold that back uh, from all the trailers. Um, so it was a true surprise. And I, 
what the the best part of the film is a surprise. Say that's uh, that that that's the mystery box done right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I do. I agree that surprise is, is a good one of my favorite one in the film. But I I do wish that Steven Spielberg, as he was adapting Ernest Cline's novel, that he had said. No offense, but you picked the wrong main character. I'm switching gears, and Arte- Artemis is going to be my hero uh, for the the end of this movie because um, Artemis was, I thought, the more interesting of was the more interesting of those two characters. Uh, you know, Artemis over Ty Sheridan's Percival. So, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, I, I mean, I understand you're adapting the novel, so you're going to stick with the hero that the novel puts out in front of you. But that was where. I think Ready Player One, it actually got better for me as it went along because I think the first act is a little rough because it's just nonstop exposition from Ty Sheridan. And so somebody forgot that when you adapt a novel, it doesn't mean reading it for somebody. (laughs) 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 You know, you're not reading it aloud for the audience and they definitely forgot that in the first act. And I know it's difficult because there's, there's a lot with the premise that you have to set up. But I think Steven Spielberg is obviously a good enough filmmaker to have done a better job in that first act than I think it, than I think he actually accomplished. So I'm not sure what, what happened there, but, but still ready player one was, was fun. And it's nice to see Steven Spielberg having a well-received blockbuster. Cause the, I think the last attempt he made was the BFG and that was not so great. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, in other respects, he's done just fine. But blockbusters has not been, uh, ironically, blockbusters have not been the the safe space for Steven Spielberg for for several years, and now it's finally he's finally made a little bit of a comeback in that arena with uh, with Ready Player One, which hopefully bodes well for Indiana Jones Five. We'll see. Yeah, we'll <laughs> you know, see. I, but I, I I do give Spielberg credit because I think the movie is quite a bit better than the book. Which is literally sometimes pages and pages of uh, just going down lists of pop culture references, mm. and uh, Spielberg was able to shape it into an actual film with uh, uh, themes. I mean, they they do have something to say about video game culture and living your life yes. in a virtual world versus a, a real world. So, I think all of that is is good. I mean, that's engaging with the premise in a way that I I want all filmmakers to engage with the premise of their film. You can have fun. But there's there's no reason that you you can't uh, try to see how this actually applies to the larger world. I mean, may, maybe Raiders of the Lost Ark doesn't doesn't actually do that either. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's just a fun adventure, uh, but it's so perfectly done that <laughs> right <laughs> nobody cares. But I, I like that there, there's some there's some thoughtfulness in here amid, amidst all the uh, Easter eggs and callouts and. Uh, uh, terrific action scenes in there too. So I mean, it's, it's an imperfect film, but it's uh, it's and I, I think the ways that are imperfect are related to the source material. But I I think what what it is is a, a film that's it's really out there trying to be a, a movie that works uh, m- not just as popcorn entertainment, but as as a full course meal. Oh yeah, I totally agree with that. It also is maybe not intentionally but through its emphasis on reality over virtual worlds or the perception of reality, it is a weird counter argument to Christopher Nolan's inception (laughs) (laughs) in which reality is a choice. Uh, But anyway, so Steven Spielberg obviously feels differently about reality than perhaps Christopher Nolan does, but uh, I don't really think that was his point. Um, Well, it might've been because I mean, certainly escapism is a theme of, uh, of Spielberg throughout his career. True. Very true. 
So, um, but the other, I mean, the just as you see movies like Jumanji and, and Ready Player One succeeding, you have Tomb Raider not doing so well at the box office. And I, I heard a lot of negative things about Tomb Raider, but when I went and watched it, I I liked it, but I also understood why it was why a lot of people left left feeling it was just inadequate. And I think it's because it it goes through the traditional origin story tropes that are have just been overplayed. Um, so they can blame the superhero movie genre for that, but you know, if they want to point a finger, but they can really point the finger back at themselves. They really needed to do, you know, to find some way to subvert those tropes. Um, it also makes a weird tonal change. The, the first act is a lot more lively and more energetic and has a balance of humor. And then acts two and three, it gets completely away from that. And it feel, it feels like a different movie. I think, uh, and it's a shame that it didn't work out because I really liked Alicia Vikander as the lead in this, as Lara Croft. I thought she did a great job, and and Walton Goggins does what he often can do, which is get way more mileage out of a villain than the script ever gives him. Um, but it's it's disappointing though because there was potential here for a franchise, and I don't know if International might end up saving this one. I, I really don't know. I'd be interested to see what happens, but it feels like. This is very much in danger and perhaps likely to be, uh, perhaps likely to be a one and done, which is, is a shame for on, on multiple counts. Obviously, I, enjoying Alicia Vikander, I think she had more potential uh, in this to do. She had potential to do a lot more with this role, and certainly we don't want Wonder Woman to be our only female-led blockbuster franchise that that continues to be ongoing and get sequels. Yeah, I mean, it's, you want it. I mean, I. I'm looking at it uh, worldwide, and it's made over 250 million worldwide. I don't know if that's enough. Um, I, I believe that's the budget was approaching like 90 million or so. Yeah, the exit so, polls would have to be really strong. Yeah, so uh, or you'd have to have a, a really killer premise for that. I don't know if you have that for Tomb Raider in a world there. You've had three Tomb Raider films before, and none of them have set the world on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you have a good movie, I don't know how you convince uh, people that the fourth time is really is one that really kills it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm glad Alicia Vikander had work. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm glad she's good. I, I'd like to see her in more stuff. Um, maybe the the lesson is uh, more Alicia Vikander, but a different property. <laughs> Sure, yeah. I mean, if she's not going to be occupied with Tomb Raider sequels, then somebody else get her in a franchise, because I, I think mm-hmm. she's obviously a very talented actress. I mean, I think most of us have been much more aware of her and her talent since Ex Machina a couple years ago, and, and so she's amazing in that. She's been amazing, obviously, in other films since then. I mean, she was a lot of fun in, uh, what was the Henry Cavill, The Man from U.N.C.L.E.? Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was good in that. Um, yeah, she's been good in a lot of stuff and enjoyable. And just wish it would have worked out better for her. I think the other uh, high-profile box office disappointment um, in in March was A Wrinkle in Time. And yeah, A Wrinkle in Time was an interesting thing. I mean, it was definitely a film that I was rooting for because we don't, you know, it's you have uh, Ava DuVernay, who of course did a terrific job with Selma directing the film and you have uh, a very diverse and inclusive cast that gets to be a part of it and bringing this 
this novel to life. And uh, so I, I, I really wanted to like the movie. I just didn't. So I didn't really, I, wa- I wasn't surprised that the movie disappointed. And I think the closer we got to release, the more obvious, it be, the more apparent it became that Disney was not as confident in this movie because they handled it differently than they typically do with a lot of their blockbusters, just in terms of how late the embargoes were, how late a lot of the screenings were. There were some early ones, but you know, even at the earliest ones, which I did not attend, I, I already started hearing very, very mixed, uh, a very mixed reception for A Wrinkle in Time. And there are things I like about the movie. I mean, I agree that the, you know, having that cast is, is great. And, and, and I agree that there's a very strong and worthwhile message in the film. Unfortunately, movies are a delivery mechanism for a message. It's not just about the message itself, because then you could do that with a lecture. It's the art of the, the delivery that, you know, that really sets movies apart. And unfortunately, the delivery mechanism in A Wrinkle in Time left a lot to be desired. I don't think you, you've, you haven't seen it yet, right? No, I mean, it's, it, it was out and then it, it kind of disappeared quickly. And mm-hmm. I guess it, it, it did okay off of its opening, but it, it really didn't open. Um, no, it didn't. Certainly not the way Disney wanted it to. And overseas is just not doing anything. I think it has like 27 million overseas. Mm-hmm. So I mean that they're gonna Disney's gonna take a hit on this. Um, I, I have to say that the trailers never did anything for me. I mean there were some interesting visuals and some interesting ideas, but they never sold me on the characters or story at all. And I think that's kind of I mean I, I got the gist that the father is missing and the the daughter is is going on a science fiction adventure to save him. Mm-hmm. But I never got the got a good reason of why this story is going to be an entertaining two hours at the movies. And uh, apparently <laughs> it wasn't quite there in the final film either. Uh, reviews were very mixed and uh, the audience showed up, I guess, opening weekend to an extent, but just not enough. No, not enough at all. And um, as much as you, as much as you want a film like that to be supported, because it, it obviously doesn't happen very often that, female filmmakers and especially a, a woman of color like Ava DuVernay would be handed a hundred million dollar budget film. And, and you don't usually see a, a young girl of color in the lead. And, and so there's plenty of reasons to root for the film because it's the kind of, it's the opportunities we want to see more of for filmmakers and, and actors and everybody who makes movies in Hollywood. So in that respect, it's, it's a movie you root for, but you know, it can't just be about the, it can't just be about the social calling and the social necessity of, of those opportunities for people. The movie, the movie still has to deliver black Panther delivered in a way that a wrinkle in time did not. And I would even say within the trailers, you know, the, the trailers for black Panther were very well received and, and got great reactions and people really loved them. The wrinkle in time trailers just never really caught on. And it, and so Wrinkle in Time always felt like the movie you were supposed to want to see as opposed to the movie you really wanted to see in a way that uh, that obviously Black Panther was or even obviously in a different way with different reasons for you know another successful film like Jumanji. It was just a different kind of experience for a Wrinkle in Time that never quite connected with the audience. And maybe the challenge in marketing the film for Disney is you know mar- trying to not being able to quite market things that weren't there you know because the movie doesn't have much more there's it, there's not really much hiding in the movie um, from those trailers. So I don't think Disney held anything back. I think they showed what they had, and just what they had wasn't uh, 
it wasn't enough for a wrinkle in time. Now another movie, and to be fair, the the reputation of the book it was it would be difficult to adapt sure. into a film, and it's, it's been around over forty years, and this is the first time it's gotten a major live action adaptation. I think that's part of the reason, and I think nobody's holding it against Ava DuVernay, uh, oh, which clearly. is a, which is definitely progress. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's the kind of thing is that uh, you know there are plenty of white male filmmakers who don't who get to skip right past director jail after uh, you know uh, after a box office disappointment. And I'm glad that Ava DuVernay already has her next job lined up with New Gods for Warner Brothers, which is uh, I mean that's something I never thought would be a movie anyway, <laughs> so I mean, directed by anybody. Uh, and so, it certainly has potential to be a terrific film. Absolutely, absolutely, and and I, it's also a great fit for Ava DuVernay, who unrelated, you know, unrelated to any of this. This was a while ago when she was asked who her favorite superhero was. Her answer was Big Barda. So obviously, yeah. she has a familiarity with the material and a, a strong desire to adapt it. My only word of caution on that is, I really hope she gets to make it because we've seen Warner Brothers hire directors for DC films and then. Yeah. Did not work out. We've had a lot of that over the past few years. So I really, truly hope that New Gods and Ava DuVernay don't end up being a, another example of that. But an, another big there, there have been movies though that have carved out space uh, for themselves at the box office in the wake of Black Panther, and that's why this is. I, I don't agree with the theory that Black Panther was so good and so successful that there was no breathing room for anything else at the box office. That makes it a challenge, but if you've got the goods, people will show up. Um, Now, I haven't seen Game Night, but it's been very well-reviewed, and everybody I know who has seen it has really enjoyed Game Night, and that movie was able to make money and do do very well for itself, and it's had legs legs at the box office, uh, even with Black Panther out there, people will show up because the word on, the word of mouth on Game Night is so strong. Yeah, I haven't seen it either, but like you said, the the word of mouth is just terrific out there. I and I know people who have seen it have said it's really funny, and uh, I I I can't wait to see it. It's probably wait to home video at this point, but I'm definitely going to go see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the other, I guess, a more recent box office. Semi, I should say it's an expected disappointment. Was Pacific Rim Uprising domestically because everybody mm-hmm. Universal made that movie banking on international because that that was the re, it was international receipts for the first film that that got a sequel greenlit, but the reviews haven't been very good and and certainly the the box office reception has been about as cold domestically as people had anticipated. I haven't seen it. I don't know that I really plan to see it. It feels it just feels like a completely non-essential, skippable movie non-event <laughs> to me. I just don't see much. I don't I don't have mm-hmm. much interest in it. It feels like the straight to video sequel mm-hmm. that actually got a theatrical release and a theatrical budget. <laughs> yeah, and but apparently the Chinese don't even like it that much. Uh they love the first one. <laughs> right. So, so but I mean I think that probably brings up uh, another thing, though we're not going to talk about it. And I haven't obviously seen any of the films. My understanding is that China box office has just blown up as far as uh, their own domestic films yes. go. It's I, it, it's it's a more competitive environment for you know American exports to China, and I think we started seeing some of that. Uh, you know, we we started seeing hints of that 
over the past couple of years, but it is definitely a more competitive environment in China and, and, and essentially people in China are not sitting back and waiting on American blockbusters anymore. They've got their own local homegrown films to go see and they're spending their money on those and, and being more selective uh, with what they go see at, uh, at the box office. I mean, certain things I think are still going to be gigantic in China. I think the Fast and Furious franchise will still do well there for a while. I think Marvel will continue to do very well there. I, I would imagine Avengers Infinity War will be huge in China. Mm-hmm. But it's they love be, uh, Ready Player One. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, but I think it's going to be like the, it's going to be more of a cream of the crop situation as opposed to um, it used to be China was something that if a Hollywood just had big shiny things <laughs> that crashed into each other with explosions, that because uh, it was you know there was blockbusters on the level that the Chinese market had not seen. Um, now they're getting that on their own. They don't. They're not depending on Hollywood for any of that. So we're seeing, uh, we are seeing a more selective audience uh, internationally, especially in China, the second biggest market that will soon become the, the biggest market. Uh, and that's going to change the game for Hollywood. They can't, they won't be able to depend on the international to save poor domestic receipts the way a lot of studios have been doing uh, for the better part of the past five to 10 years. Yeah. And they're, they're going to have to do, uh, things more than just toss in a token Chinese character. Definitely. Uh, they have to toss in a star or, or give that character something really important to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's definitely going to be a, a change that Hollywood's going to have to adapt to. Absolutely. Um, a few other notables. I, I did see Red Sparrow, the Jennifer Lawrence, not Black Widow movie. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> That came out, and it's definitely not a Black Widow movie, by the way. For, and I think those of you who've seen it know that. Um, I, I know some of there were some critics who enjoyed the movie, but I, I really did not enjoy Red Sparrow very much. I, I was not a fan of it, so I wasn't surprised to see it. Just kind of, I mean, it's done okay at the box office. It's not terrible. I mean, its its legs have been okay. It's 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 almost tripled its opening weekend so far. So I mean, it's not. Uh, it's it's not a complete flame out at the box office. I'm not sure what the budget was because I'm looking at 40... uh, 69 million. I think they're talking about. Yeah. So it it made about 130 million worldwide. Yeah, so it's so... it's probably about break even. Yeah, it, it's not terrible. The only problem, you know, you're not going to get a lot of ancillary revenue streams on on something like that. So yeah, maybe maybe break even depending on the you know whose money they used <laughs> to, to finance it and all that. Uh, and who's got points on the back end? Uh, I would imagine maybe Jennifer Lawrence did, um, but because she's a, a big enough star to get that for a movie like this. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I've I've heard bad things. I've heard good things about it. It, it yeah. seems to be more a more serious uh, story than uh, perhaps it, it, that would really take off at the box office. More. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh, it's John de- Le Carre than James Bond. <laughs> it's it's absolutely a downer. Um, I I joked as I left the theater uh, on the Fox lot, the press screen, that it was the feel good movie of the year, and I got a good <laughs> I got a good laugh out of everybody for that one because yeah, it was. Uh, it is not a pleasant viewing experience. Not that it has to be, and it, it, that's not an argument for me that movies only have to address light or fair and, and leave you feeling good at the end of it. But I, I didn't feel like Red Sparrow 
really wanted to deal with a lot of the ugliness that it was pers- that it was presenting, and it felt like a lot of ugliness for ugliness' sake, um, and it even felt a little exploitative at, at times. So I don't necessarily, you know, I, I don't think that Red Sparrow, you know, fully dealt with the ramifications of of what it was getting into, and so that that ended up being what what cost them you know what cost the movie at least my my endorsement not that it needed or maybe it did need my endorsement i don't know um but the one that or maybe if you do that type of movie it's a 20 or 30 million dollar type of movie not a yes, 70 million definitely yeah a little bit of uh controlled spending would have been uh would have been helpful there but i i think the movie that that came and went that i know you for sure, and and myself to a little, maybe a slightly lesser extent, will be lamenting is, uh, you know, thinking about what should have been is is Annihilation. Um, obviously, that was one of our most anticipated movie nominees. To just again stress the importance of the Modern Myth Movie Awards, <laughs> but uh, I get, but then again, for most anticipated, not by as many as uh, as I would have hoped. Um, but I feel like Annihilation is the kind of movie that will find its audience over time as a lot of sci-fi classics have. Uh, so this is not in the history of science fiction it is not atypical for a movie to find its audience later, as opposed to its theatrical run. Cause I, I, you know, annihilation is great and it just has uh, you know, it, it it's just going to take time. People are going to have to find it on their own cause they didn't find it when it was thrown right in front of them uh, at the movie theater. <laughs> Which is their loss. I mean, Part of it is one of these science fiction films, which it does, which it kind of leaves itself open for interpretation. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's, you have to be an active viewer and be processing and thinking about how these fit together and work. And it, it's inspired a lot of great conversations yes. after the fact. Um, you, you, there's a lot of think pieces out there, and I think almost all of them are entertaining and have something new to say. And I, I can't wait for it to come out on home video so I can watch it again because I think it's there's this is going to have layers and layers to unpack and mm-hmm. think about over time. I, I, honestly, I, I've had nothing but great conversations about it online. Um, I, I really love this film. Uh, I wish it had done better. I, I guess it only had a thirty million dollar. Uh, budget and it made thirty-two million so far, which is not too, too bad off eleven million dollar opening, mm-hmm. almost a multiplier of three. So I, it's 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 had had a little dedicated audience that did show up for it, and Paramount sold some of the overseas rights, so they probably ended up making some money on it. And, mm-hmm. and Alex Garland is not going to go to director jail, so uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I think it, it, it's great, but. Uh, people you missed your chance to see it in theater and you're going to regret that when you see that in a home video uh and it also inspired me to seek out andre tarkovsky's stalker which is one is certainly takes as a point of reference and that was a great experience for me too so um that's my recommended double feature for this year annihilation and stalker yeah and i think I, i agree i think annihilation is great i wish it had found uh, I wish I had found more of an audience, but I also understand some of these things they just, you know, audiences just miss on for whatever reason. And I, I think it was another one that with its marketing probably could have done a bit more. I think we've seen films that that emphasize mystery uh, in their marketing as whether it's as a science fiction or even blockbuster type of concept 
audiences tend to want to know a little bit more, especially if it's not a pre-existing franchise. And so um, I think if it had opened itself up a bit more in the marketing, maybe that would have helped. But yeah, I don't think Alex Garden will spend any time in director jail, not at all, because by all accounts, the people who see the movie think it's a very good movie. It's just a matter of, you know, you could actually pin that back on the marketing department because they had a good movie on their hands and didn't find an audience for it or enough of an audience for it. <laughs> but at the same time, I think Paramount was maybe uh, didn't quite feel the same urgency in that marketing, especially once, especially in those final weeks before it came out, because they already knew they had gotten their money back by by selling the international rights to Netflix. Yeah. Um, they um, certainly were confident that it would find an audience, and I no. think it kind of made a self-fulfilling prophecy out of totally. that. Totally, I, I completely agree. Another little gem this year that will have a that's pro- more profitable, I would imagine, than Annihilation, and maybe could, if the Academy remembers it, get some love uh, later on in the year is Love Simon, which I heard great things about, and then I went and saw it, and it completely lived up to the hype. It has two of the most emotionally moving scenes. It has several emotionally moving scenes, but two of the most, um, you know, are the, the scene, be- Love, Simon, obviously being a story about a, a kid in high school who's gay and, and coming out to his friends and his family. It's obviously, there's much more in that, but the scene with uh, Nick Robinson coming out to, not so much when he comes out to his parents, but the the first scenes with each parent after his first scene with Jennifer Garner and his first scene after he's come out to with his Josh Duhamel playing his dad um, were amazing scenes in that and and overall the movie was just it was very touching and it was a lot of at the same time in at the same moving and also a lot of fun so it was kind of every the perfect little movie uh, and I, I enjoyed it so much and and again it's, it's one that I hope. Uh, I hope the Academy remembers uh, because I know it's it's we're just in the first quarter and that usually doesn't bode well. Uh, but this is one I think this is definitely a movie to keep an eye on and also go see uh, if you haven't seen it already. Yeah, I've heard nothing but terrific things. Yeah, uh, but I I haven't seen it, but it's definitely one I'll catch on home video. Yeah. Uh, now uh, I'm, I, I'm trying to think what else we have left here. That well, uh, there, there, there's Paddington Two, which was notable. I, yeah, there's Paddington Two. I've but, heard it nothing but delightful. Exactly, but haven't seen it. Sorry, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, I think the other big story, though, in in the first quarter, there's a couple of stories uh, that uh, you know things that have things that are kind of changing. Uh, is we mentioned you know Annihilation and that the idea of dumping the international to Netflix. And I, I use the phrase dumping because I kind of feel like that's what's being done. <laughs> it's yes. certainly paramount uh, when they don't feel like they can make it, make a go of it with theatrical distribution. Netflix has quickly become their go-to fallback. And they did that not only with the international to for annihilation, but they did that earlier this year with, Cloverfield Paradox, and after watching Cloverfield Paradox, I completely understand why they did that. Um, that I don't think that's a movie that would have done well at the box office. I don't think it was a very good movie. Um, I don't think it was outright atrocious, but I think it had a lot of issues. It was an undercooked film, and it's just easier for a film like that to succeed on Netflix in the same way that 
I, you know, you're not going to find very many people giving Bright a good review, but Netflix was quick to tout it as their most watched movie. Um, but that's because it's a lot easier to click on something from the couch and also without spending any more money than you're already spending on your subscription because you like Stranger Things to, you know, or whatever else you were binging, you had already been binging on Netflix for years. There's no additional spend for those movies. So the decision whether or not to watch it, it's completely different for the consumer. Bright would not have succeeded in theaters, and Cloverfield Paradox, I don't believe, would have succeeded in theaters. So it is fair to say that it, you know there is a lower bar for audiences in terms of whether or not they will click on it. And even if a movie like Bright has such terrible reviews, it's a lot easier to satisfy your how bad is it curiosity when you <laughs> don't have to spend money. Yeah, and it's like... There's, there's a part of it is probably curiosity. Okay, I'll watch the uh, first uh, 30 minutes of it mm-hmm. and, and see. And maybe if I don't like it, maybe I'll just wander out and get myself a beer and just let the thing run. Exactly, and I think that's what's happening. So, I mean, it, it's like there's there's curiosity. There's like, okay, I've sunk uh, 30 minutes into it already. Might as well see how it ends. and. Mm-hmm. That nobody's paying attention to how attentive the viewers are or how much they like it. I actually think this might be a problem for Netflix if they keep acquiring these big high profile pictures and they don't deliver. Mm-hmm. They're they're doing great on television on the shows, but I, I think they have to find a formula that works for them at movies. If somebody's going to say, or people are just going to stop watching the movies. Yeah, although I will say they were criminally overlooked with Mudbound. Yeah, 2017. So Netflix has they have there's good stuff being developed and created over at Netflix, but I think what they will what they should be mindful of is being being that dumping ground for other studios of just taking the content that the others that studios don't believe in. But then again, because even though people might be watching it, that's not why they are subscribing to Netflix. So if they're if whatever they spend money on developing or purchasing from something that somebody else has developed in the end, that has to add up to additional revenue via new subscribers. And I don't think people who are not subscribed to Netflix are signing up because of bright and Cloverfield paradox. It's people who were all it's the, it's the money Netflix already has. Those are the eyes watching uh, these Mm -hmm. movies that are not, uh, that are just not up to par. Um, yes, I so, mean, I think Stranger Things gets renewals. Yes, uh, Cloverfield Paradox doesn't, and I think that's why the HBO model is something to admire because they have a lot of programming that gets people talking and gets people renewing. Even when Game of Thrones isn't on, uh, they're they're not just reliant on uh, one or two shows. They they have a good uh, development team oh, in, in place there. Yeah, I mean, Game of Thrones isn't even over yet, and they've already got us hooked on Westworld. So yes. <laughs> you know, they, HBO always has you hooked on a few things at once, and then as those are coming to an end, there's always another generation of shows coming right behind them. And it's just this smooth handoff that HBO is so mm-hmm. great at with their development and then, of course, launching, uh, launching these series. Um, I think the other big story of the first quarter was just watching the box office run play out for Star Wars The Last Jedi, which ended up being the most controversial and divisive Star Wars film of all time, which I don't even know if that's really the fault of the film itself as much as 
the tendency for people to be divisive and behave certain ways about literally everything. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I have to imagine that, you know, there's a part of me that, that wonders, would you have just as many Twitter and Facebook fights and and everything else uh, about Darth Vader being Luke Skywalker's father, uh, you know, 30 years ago? I mean, it's just really, or I guess closer Mm -hmm. to 40 years ago. It's, uh, it's just weird, and uh, which is not to say that I'm, and I'm not trying to invalidate people who don't like Last Jedi or, or are critical of it. Not at all. Um, it's just the, the way. But I think we can all pay attention to and be aware of the fact that the way we discuss movies and, and pretty much every other topic these days is, is you know, tends to be <laughs> there tends to be more <laughs> layers of hostility <laughs> involved in all of it. Uh, and, and more, which of course leads to, uh, a lot of the division, but, but anyway, besides social media conversations, uh, about the film, I think, uh, the big story though, that I think is maybe the most troubling for Disney, uh, it, it actually has to be, as we were talking about before China, you know, China has never had a great relationship with star Wars and yet it's, it's deteriorating and getting worse and worse with each of these new releases because you have an audience that did not see the original trilogy. So none of this really means mm-hmm. anything to them. Star Wars doesn't have that built in that decades worth uh, of reverence that the domestic audience and, and, and even other international territories might have for Star Wars. China doesn't have that. And so we are seeing uh, returns that were never quite as great as you know Disney would have hoped when they even got this thing started again with force awakens. And now they're just deteriorating with each film and uh, I don't think that's going to make Disney give up on Star Wars. Obviously not. But that has to be something that they're not pleased about. Yeah, I mean, I I thought $1.5 billion would have been the low bar after The Force Awakens. And it, it came in at $1.3, which means still it made Disney a ton of money. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently there, there, there was some effect either of the film or the controversy around the film that it, it didn't quite connect. Uh, to the extent I think everybody was uh, anticipating. Uh, but, I mean, $620 million is still a ton of money in the domestic market. I think it's the number one film of the year. Yeah. Or So it's, it, a lot of people liked it. A lot of people showed up. Um, I, I, I would say, though, that I, I think they're, they're kind of at, at trying to figure out just how adult and complex and morally gray they can be. With well, still being Star Wars, I mean, back in the seventies, one of the reasons why Star Wars was such a big hit was it was so uh, crowd pleasingly uh, black and white, good versus evil, with swashbuckling Derry Do in a, a wash in the sea of films which are more morally gray and adult and uh, uh, more uh, downbeat. And this one, it kind of gets more into that morally complex area and kind of downplays the effectiveness of the swashbuckling daring do and tries to upend expectations. I think lots of that is great, but lots of that might also be that people don't want to see a Star Wars film for that. Mm-hmm. And that might be part of the problem. And they, they're going to have to figure out just what exactly the balance is uh, going forward. Yeah, I, I certainly respect the ambition of Last Jedi, and I like the movie. I gave it a positive review, and I, I still stand by it and still feel that way about the film. And in fact, gave it a very positive review because I think it is a, I think it is a very good movie. 
uh, but I don't know, but I also understand why it's not as completely satisfying to a general audience as a Star Wars movie, because even though it takes great care to kind of subvert expectations and tropes of Star Wars with the idea that, you know, to expand the, to try and expand the idea of what Star Wars can be, at the same time, audiences don't want to be left completely behind, uh, you know, and yes. there are certain things they still want to see from Star Wars. So it's not so much that audiences want Star Wars to be the same thing over and over again, but as you're stretching and expanding that idea, you've, you don't want to go too far from it all at once. You know, it's, it, it mm-hmm. was almost too much of a snap in the other direction after The Force Awakens, which... You know the criti- and that's why I think you see people frustrated with the com- with the debate online of well people complain that the Force Awakens was too much of the same, but then people complain that the Last Jedi is you know is is just way too different. Well, I understand why that happens because what people are asking for is balance. What people are asking for is uh, you know combining fresh and new ideas and bold takes within the franchise while also retaining some sense of familiarity people want people want things that are freshly familiar that's really what they <laughs> yes. want from from the franchises that that they love especially from Star Wars and and last jedi went away from that and and we know that JJ Abrams is more inherently a crowd pleaser than Ryan Johnson so i don't i don't doubt for a second that episode 9 will be a bit more of a return to form from what general audiences might want from Star Wars i and we've we've had this conversation before robert i mean i don't think it's a completely separate thing that Jumanji's success is, I think Jumanji's success is related to Last Jedi, not just, you know, not hitting, not not being as wholly satisfied of a family movie experience as maybe people, audiences had been counting on for, for Star Wars. And so Jumanji became kind of the, the perfect antidote to the Last Jedi. Cause I could see, you know, even if an audience member liked the Last Jedi, it's not the kind of movie you immediately buy your next ticket for like the force awakens was it's not as immediately rewatchable mm-hmm. uh, of a film i expected a big drop between last jedi and the force uh, from the force awakens to the last jedi i mean I, I i said that after the force awakens opening weekend and then continued throughout its box office run like this won't happen again cuz star wars is not going to go away for such a long time again you know and and that that created you know that was a, a once in a lifetime multi-generational event with the force awakens coming back after star wars had been absent for 10 years but really you know it's longer than that because it was the first truly new story of of moving things forward as opposed to going back with the prequels it you know had been 30 years since uh since return of the jedi and i think all of those things played a factor uh that you can't you know a, a factor that you cannot replicate in the success and the the overwhelming response to the Force Awakens. So, on some level, the Last Jedi never had a realistic shot at getting very close to the Force Awakens numbers. But I, I agree that it could have been a movie that did more, you know, six fifty to seven hundred domestic, um, or and certainly could have done better uh, worldwide, maybe closer to one point four, one point five. So, it's not a drastic disappointment in terms of the numbers coming in lower than I expected. It's not that much lower than I really would have anticipated for Last Jedi. But I, I think we can see that there is some writing on the wall here that it's it's not just bitter Star Wars fans who didn't like the movie or didn't receive the movie quite as well. I, I think it's it's fair to say that 
that some of that react, some of that negative reaction does stretch into the general audience. And that is something that Disney and, and Lucasfilm will have to contend with, uh, with episode yeah, nine. Um, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're going to have to, I mean, I think some of them, there were some missteps in here. I think two and a half hours and it felt like two and a half hours at time. I don't think they quite nailed the pacing on the film. No. Uh, I think that was, was a factor and I don't expect a 12 year old to get like a Rashomon reference. Uh, when Ryan Johnson is doing that with the uh, Mark Hamill and Kylo Ren flashbacks. So some of that I think might have been uh, uh, missing the mark with the audience who attended. And some of that might be actually be people are actually figuring out what uh, Star Wars continuing actually means to the old characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know how satisfying it is for everybody to find out that uh, Luke Han and Leia failed to bring peace and uh, uh, freedom to the galaxy, were miserable, and then died without seeing those things achieved. Um, That's a a tough thing to sell. I mean, those things, I think, need to happen for Star Wars to continue, at least in the form that they're going in. And I think there there is some resentment to that or just non-satisfaction with that, especially after how... Uh, upbeat and hopeful the ending of uh, Return of the Jedi was. So, I mean, that that might be... Maybe the, maybe the lesson is leave the characters people love alone and try to find some new characters and new stories to tell. You know, or, or find something else to do with them. I think that's, the, that's one of the biggest mistakes that I think they made. Uh, it was one of my biggest problems in The Force Awakens, and it was... In most of my issues with The Last Jedi, because I do have some, they tend to be... They tend to relate to Luke. And and just like my biggest issues with Force Awakens were, were Han and Leia. No, it's not great to think that after Return of the Jedi, these characters ended up having such miserable ends. You know, that that they spent, that, that Han and Leia spent, I mean, obviously it wasn't the entire 30 years because they were together throughout, you know, Ben Solo being old enough to look like Adam Driver. So, yeah, like it, you know, they were together for, and probably happy for a while, but they spent, you know, at least the past several years of their, of their lives, not uh, being, you know, alone, you know, Han and Leia being apart, Luke being off and and alone and, and feeling horrible about himself for uh, contemplating, even if only for a split second, uh, murdering his own nephew. These are not the, these are not the ends people would have wanted for their heroes in Star Wars. And, and I wish they had found a better way, you know, it, 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 they really didn't have to have everything be so terrible for these characters, um, you know, for for such a long stretch of time. You know, a new evil could have risen, and it, you know, like it, things could have been good, and then a new evil rises, and and they have to deal with it, and they need help because there's you know need a new generation of heroes. I think there was a way to construct that in a, a, a there was a much more pleasant way to construct that <laughs> within these Star Wars stories because, and, mm-hmm. and this is maybe why I'm the most hopeful for Episode Nine of all of it. My favorite parts of these two star, these two new episodes have been the new characters. It's been uh, Ray and Finn and Poe and and, Kylo, and and also Kylo Ren as a new villain. I've enjoyed these characters, and Episode Nine is going to be all about them because mm-hmm. we, you know uh, Luke and Han are are, are dead. Well. Um, well, Luke, Luke, I I will guarantee will make an appearance. Sure, but it's not you know Force Ghosts show up for a scene or two. They don't. You know they don't dominate yeah. the story, and uh, I would imagine that we open with Leia's funeral, 
in episode nine because I don't expect them to recast and I don't expect them to just make some excuse for why she's off screen the entirety of the film. So I think uh, if not, if it's not the first scene, uh, you know, but I could totally imagine that's how the crawl ends is it's send, it's sending us to Leia's funeral. I think that would make sense. And I, I think that's the best way to handle it is let's, let's acknowledge this terrible thing that, you know, this tragedy that, you know, that uh, obviously the tragedy is that, Carrie Fisher lost her life younger than she should have. Not so much that she doesn't get to be in movies anymore, but it is the real life circumstance that bleeds into the art of the film and, and that experience as a viewer. So let's let's acknowledge that in the very beginning of the movie and then let's move on. And I think once we get to do that and then all of the focus shifts to the new characters, it really won't surprise me at all if Star Wars Episode Nine ends up being the most satisfying, that the consensus, not just for me, but for you know, most of the audience, the consensus is that episode nine ends up being the most satisfying chapter of this new trilogy. Um, and, but the, the question is, will people still want, you know, will people still give it a chance? And I think Star Wars has enough, has a, a good enough reputation with the audience that even if, even people who didn't like The Last Jedi, uh, even mainstream moviegoers who didn't love The Last, Last Jedi will still give episode nine a chance. I, I don't think anybody gives up on Star Wars as a result of Last Jedi. Internationally, no, I, maybe a different story, but you know, in China, a different story. But domestically, and I think in most markets, Star Wars gets another chance with nine. Yeah, and that, I think that's okay. It's okay for a film to be primary American cultural phenomenon. It doesn't necessarily need to be a worldwide cultural phenomenon, even though it is going to make over a billion. So let's let's not cry sure. too much for Disney's problems here or Lucasfilm's problems here. Um, I, I, I think it's good. I I don't. Put it past some sort of Gandalf the White return for Luke. I think it would probably be better for the reasons you said just to move forward with the story and and go and uh, try to bring it home with these characters that we've invested in in the first two films. Uh, but I, I think that's that's one of their get out of jail free cards if mm-hmm. they they feel that way and if they need to make up for Carrie Fisher's absence, I guess they could do it that way. At least have it a physical presence. Um, Especially since I think uh, Mark Hamill was so darn delightful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what what happens next with uh, with Star Wars. But JJ is historically one of the more crowd pleasing directors. Uh, you know, Star Trek Into Darkness aside, uh, you know, people tend yeah. to tend to leave JJ Abrams movies feeling good, and and so I think he'll provide he will provide that kind of feeling uh, again with Episode Nine. And then, uh, so that pretty much wraps up, you know, the first quarter of this year. I, I think we're already now very aware of our, our biggest success story, at least for now, in the yes. second quarter of the year. April's going to be interesting already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it are a quiet place opening at forty-seven million dollars, a huge opening that goes above, uh, you know, even above the likes of, of Get Out last year, and you know, with John Krasinski. Uh, you know, hitting a home run with his directorial debut as, uh, in, and, and obviously starring in the movie alongside his, his real life spouse, Emily Blunt. Um, I haven't seen the movie yet. I've heard nothing but great things, so I can't wait to go and, and check it out. Um, but it's great to see that, you know, as, as we were saying before, with, with the first quarter releases besides Black Panther that have succeeded, there's, there is still an audience for good movies and, you know, a quiet place is certainly a a testament to that. 
Uh, also, Blockers is doing well as an R-rated uh, raunch comedy, having a very nice uh, opening weekend. So we're seeing, you know, we're seeing some box office success, and and thankfully mm-hmm. we're not seeing everybody clutching their pocketbooks, uh, yeah. waiting for Infinity War in a couple weeks. People are still ready to go, uh, ready to go spend money money at the movies, and then they'll just go spend it again. Uh, yeah, Isle of Dogs is doing okay for itself too. Yeah. You know there so, uh, there are some there are some early success stories in this second quarter. Is only it's only just started. We're only in the second opening weekend of it. Yeah, I, I think it's obviously going to be the big news of uh, April. But I mean, I think Rampage is going to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, the success of Jumanji can only help that film. Yes. Yeah, and uh, Avengers is going to make money. So I think it, it probably we're looking at record-setting April. Uh, definitely. I think, yeah, we're probably, especially thanks to, uh, you know, an unexpected, an unexpected role player, like a quiet place to, you know, perform so above and beyond, uh, expectations. It's funny though. Now I was, you know, as I was joking with you and, uh, our pal Andy Nijanova earlier today, it makes me think that John Krasinski, who's been passed over a couple of times for Marvel roles as an actor might end up being the next director. Marvel tries to give a call when they have something, (laughs) Like oh hey uh, why don't you want to direct a movie for us? Um, but uh, anyway, I don't know what he would what he would have any interest in doing next. But it's a, it's a great success story to get things going this month because uh, this is actually the first full weekend of April because we just had uh, Sunday for as April first last week. But uh, yeah, it's a great start to the month, and then I. I think Rampage will uh, will ride the Jumanji wave a bit. It's rock in a movie with big animals, so it's so <laughs> it's so perfectly timed as the next thing for Dwayne Johnson to be in after Jumanji. So I think it gets a boost from there, and it, it sounds like uh, you know I'm not expecting any anything truly great or remarkable from it, but the people who have seen it so far, the consensus is that. It is a big, fun action blockbuster, so that'll probably be be enough. And then when you look at uh, Infinity War, we'll, we'll close out the month. And then when we get into May, might as well just continue with a quick second quarter preview. I, I think the, the, big, the biggest story of the second quarter has to be Infinity War. And then I think the, the other noteworthy releases that you look at are incredible or incredibles 2 in june jurassic the jurassic world fallen kingdom but before we get to those in may you get uh deadpool 2 and solo a star wars story i think deadpool 2 will be just fine writing uh writing on the coattails of, of the first film i think solo is a very interesting one as because we, we talked about the last jedi and the impact that it could have on episode 9 but before we get to that we have uh solo which of course has a, uh, the stories of a, a long troubled production with a director change and all of those things. But Disney has decided to premiere the film in front of the booing and walking out crowd of can. <laughs> so I, I'm taking that as a vote of confidence. I don't know how else to interpret it. If they're showing it, it has to be a vote of, of compass, uh, a confidence as long as the, uh, uh, the uh, embargo is, is lifted for social media. But I mean, if they're showing it in public, I, I think that that is definitely a vote of confidence. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all going to come down to the lead performance with that, as far yep. as I'm concerned. I, I, everything else, I, it may work, but if the lead performance doesn't work, it's just, it's it's just it'll open, but it'll quickly vanish. Yeah, they chose to make the Han Solo movie, not the Lando movie, so it 
while it might help to have Donald Glover putting in an, ex- uh, an as expected brilliant turn as Lando, even if that lives up to the hype, uh, it won't be enough if Alden Ehrenreich doesn't deliver. And, and it's the it's a huge challenge because he could give a very good performance, but people still just don't like it because it's not Harrison Ford. So it, it, it's not even it's not even entirely about the quality of the performance. Um, but at the very least, there it needs to be a quality performance, even if it can't quite uh, do the impossible and, and live up to the uh, the reverence that people will have always had and will continue to have for Harrison Ford's Han Solo. It's it's a challenge. I think the movie will, like you said, I think the movie will open well, but then what? I, I think is the ultimate question for uh, for Solo, a Star Wars story, and then we'll have to see uh, we'll have to see how it goes from there. I, the other one I, but I, I do expect a significant drop for Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom as well. And yes, I, I've been. It, it, yeah, there's no way they can repeat that uh, lightning in a barrel or just a stroke of lightning. No, well they can't, and, and it's also because Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. I, I don't think the trailers have really nailed it, um, and I also think that it's been my question since Jurassic World is. Jurassic World was the sequel that Lost World or Jurassic Park 3 should have been because it answered the only question that really mattered after the first Jurassic Park, which is, okay, so what would happen if the park was actually open? Jurassic World gave the answer to that question. That was, that was the, the sequel that audiences really wanted to the mm-hmm. first Jurassic Park film. And now we're back to where we were in Lost World and Jurassic Park 3, which is, what's this week's random excuse to go back to the island where we're all going to die? <laughs> and, you know, I thought that, uh, but I didn't, that's why I didn't know where Jurassic World could really go because, you know, I, I wasn't super interested in the army of dinosaurs direction that they were headed in Jurassic World, introducing the idea of weaponized dinosaurs being used for military operations, but at least it would have got the dinosaurs off the island, which I kind of think mm-hmm. is what they need to do. As terrible as that scene was at the end of Lost World... <laughs> Like the the only way to really progress the story is to get the dinosaurs off the island. Otherwise, it is just here's our next excuse for people to go back to the island and and saving the dinosaurs. I'm sorry is not a good enough reason because I don't I don't realistically see teams of people signing up to go save creatures that will eat them. <laughs> no, not, I, it's that just know, that sounds like a way to get yourself dead. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I don't, I don't see that, and I also don't see how you, uh, you know, the other challenge for that is our our lead characters, played by Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt. Um, how do you justify leading a team of people to their death, you know, to go save animals that were already extinct and that you just made for profit? Uh, I don't, I just, it's weird. It, it's mm-hmm. it's an it's a weird premise for Fallen Kingdom, which is not to say that it can't overcome that, but. I think the the recipe was already, you know, the writing was already on the wall that it couldn't touch what Jurassic World did. I'd, I'd be shocked if it gets anywhere near what Jurassic World did a, a couple years ago. Um, but uh, it, maybe it can do, it, maybe it'll, be, it, it'll surprise me enough if it's just a good movie because I'm not really anticipating, uh, I'm not anticipating much from it right now. One of the things I, I can point to is I had the opportunity to see the 1925 The Lost World uh, last fall on the big screen. Uh, I could tell that they're definitely taking some inspiration from that because one of the big set pieces of that, uh, which is post or pre-King Kong uh, Willis O'Brien animation, is uh, a big stampede of 
uh, dinosaurs across a plateau as a volcano. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point to see. Um, but I don't know if the story is. I mean, I think getting the dinosaurs off the island needs to happen. And if you can release them in the jungle somewhere, then you can do something more with the franchise. But this this seems like not a story in itself, but something that moves the franchise from one place to another. And I don't know if that's enough. So. Yeah. It feels like the story you should have explained in three lines of dialogue in the in the sequel that you should have made is, is kind yeah. of how I feel about the concept of uh, of Fallen Kingdom. But anyway, um, yeah, those are the the big ones as we look at you know through. Yeah, so I have The Incredibles two, The Incredibles two. As I've been uh, fearful of calling it the uh, you know Mr. Mom slash Baby's Day Out, <laughs> like that's. <laughs> That's my worry with Incredibles 2. They haven't hooked me with any of the marketing yet other than I like the first... It's it's basically this. I'm interested because I love the first movie. It has nothing to do with... I'm My interest has really nothing to do with any of the new material that they've shown me so far. Now, I anticipate we will get a new trailer very soon uh, to be paired with Infinity War and, and everything. And I, obviously a new solo trailer will come out around the same time as well. Um, so I hope that trailer really gives me something because right now, uh, it's, my interest is exactly the same as it was when they announced that they were making an incredible sequel, which was a high level of interest. But again, it's not based on, it's not actually based on this movie. It's really based on the first one. Yeah, I, I'm exactly the same boat. I mean, it looks fine, but I'm not super amped and it feels like they waited too long and what they've come up with isn't big enough to justify that weight, mm-hmm. but maybe it's just a good entertaining movie. And it, I usually Pixar deserves the benefit of the doubt. So that's, sure. that's kind of how I'm approaching it. Well, maybe not with sequels outside of toy story. So well, um, got a although, point there. I mean, finding Dory was adequate, but I, you know, and I, I mostly liked it, but I, I think I, I would want more from an incredible sequel, especially since we've, uh, we've waited so long and, um, you know, finding Nemo to finding Dory was was a bigger stretch of concept as opposed to uh, a superhero franchise, which we know you can get a lot of mileage out of a superhero franchise. So there's really no reason not to uh, take really big and, and interesting steps in a second superhero movie. So there's re- there's just no excuse with Incredibles. Yeah, no excuse for just basically repeating yourself but reversed with yeah. uh, Mr. Incredible stuck at home, the last girl having an adventure. Exactly. Yeah, if, if that's what they had to do, they've they're they've skipped out on commenting on a decades worth of uh, the most popular genre in the world. Uh, exactly. There's you know part of what made the Incredibles so fun was its commentary on superheroes as a concept, and obviously that has that balloon has blown up since Incredibles came out in 2004. So I, I would be counting on this movie to have more to say than just here's uh you know here's the same adventure in reverse and possibly less interesting and again heavily influenced by baby's day out which i really don't want but i somehow <laughs> feel like that's going to be the entire second and even bleed into third act of the movie but hopefully not hopefully jack jack stays in his place and we get a, a legitimate superhero uh superhero adventure but anyway i think that's where we'll go ahead and wrap this up i think hopefully you've enjoyed our, our summary here of the first quarter um, but, uh, and then obviously we'll be back with the second quarter to see how some of these movies we talked about, see how they play out, see how Solo does, Infinity War, 
Uh, we'll see what this uh, this new run of A Quiet Place, uh, where that ends up and if that remains. I think it's already cemented itself based on this weekend of being one of the biggest stories of the second quarter. We'll just see how much we remember it since it's so early. Uh, <laughs> we'll check back in a few months from now. Uh, but in the meantime, Robert, where can they find you? Uh, besides uh, still posting on ratings at Modern Myth Media, you can find me over at wherethelongtailends.com, where I host the Still Watching the Skies podcast, where we talk about your favorite B movie or favorite science fiction films that people don't talk about often. Uh, our latest episode is on Doc Savage, The Man of Bronze, which I can say is a movie. <laughs> <laughs> but we also talk about things like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, uh, Space is the Place, and uh, uh, quite a few of your the, your favorite uh, uh, classic films. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S-E-A-N. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much uh, to all of you for listening to the show and sticking with Modern Myth Media, even when we are few and far between on podcasts. But uh, thank you so much for checking that out. You can also find me on the Superhero News uh, YouTube channel uh, every single week. You can find me and my, my co-hosts over there. So for Robert, I'm Sean. Thanks, as always, for listening. We'll see you next time. 